All right, so we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. Um, If you haven't turned there already, feel free to turn there. We'll read a few of the verses. I think I'll probably just read verses 22 through 35, which we did not get to last week. It's hard sometimes to try to cover a whole chapter. Um, Oftentimes you can, but sometimes you can't because I just get to talking and, you know, it gets beyond the time limits. So we'll finish up uh, most of Acts chapter 15 today. And then get into 16 next week. So where we're at in Acts chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council. So this is, hey, what are we supposed to do about all of these Gentiles who are entering the church? Do they have to become Jews? Do they have to be circumcised? And do they have to follow and keep the law of Moses or not? That's the question that's being asked. So the situation that brought this up and is making them have this council is... Some people went from Jerusalem and Judea to Antioch, which is north of there, in Syria, where Paul and Barnabas were. They had just gotten back at some point and were there ministering from their missionary journey to the Gentiles. And they reported all that was happening, and they were all having a great time. And Antioch itself is a good mix of Jews and Gentiles, a heavy Jewish population, but it was a really mainly Gentile city. And so these Jewish believers from Jerusalem come down to Antioch and they say, hey, you have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas are like, I don't think so. And there was a a big disturbance. There was a dispute. And they're like, we need to take this to the whole church. We need to take this to kind of ground zero so that it becomes clear what is the expectation? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How do we have to live? Like, how do we come into a relationship with Christ? And how do we maintain that relationship with Christ? And as part of that, how do we live amongst other people, who, other Christians? So how do we enter into a relationship with Christ and how do we continue that relationship with Christ and continue that relationship with Christ amongst other Christians, amongst other people? So that's the questions that are being asked and the answers that were given in Acts chapter 15. So actually, why don't I just read from verse 6 onward so we can get this full picture of Acts chapter 15. It says, The apostles and the elders... This is verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's saying this is not a new thing. This is not something Paul and Barnabas have done on their own. God did this through me, Peter, like one of Jesus' right-hand men, the one who gave the original sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and who... Through the Spirit led me to preach to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and to see his whole household and all his friends come to faith. God's done this through me, not just Paul and Barnabas. Verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We talked about this last week, and we saw it before in Acts chapter 13. 
There is a burden that following the law has with it. That burden all throughout the Old Testament and up through the time of Jesus was meant to teach us that we needed a Savior to save us. That through all of these actions that the law imposed upon us as the people of God could never truly save us. What we needed was God to save us. We were constantly asking God and showing that we needed God. And that we needed to believe that God was the only one who could save us. And now that Christ has come, the Son of God in the flesh, He died for our sins, has been raised from the dead, to show that He was the Son of God, that He is who He said He was, by faith in Him and Him alone, are we saved. Our hearts are cleansed by faith, not by works, not by doing all these things. Those things could never get the Jewish people saved, and they can't get us saved now. So, why are we putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We're not able to be saved by works, so they can't be saved by works. It just doesn't make any sense. Verse 11, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So there's no distinction between them and us. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. So it's not just the experiences of the apostles. It's not just the experience of Peter and Paul and Barnabas. It's not just what I'm saying to you. This is what God has already said, what he prophesied through Amos and through really all the other prophets, that he was going to bring the Gentiles into the fold of the people of God. This is not new news. We just have to find it. We just have to realize it's there. It's been there all along. The words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Verse 16. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So what's the result of our little Jerusalem council? Well, they come to this consensus. They're all in it together. Peter, who you can read in in Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to confront Peter because Peter started acting hypocritically. He was hanging out with the Gentiles because Peter clearly was shown in Acts chapter 10 that we should not call unclean what is clean. We should not call bad what is okay. And he's hanging out with the Gentiles now. He's having table fellowship with them. He's eating meals with them. But then when these Jews came from Jerusalem and said, no, you have to live according to the law of Moses. You have to be circumcised. You can't hang out with these Gentiles like you've been doing. Peter withdrew from the Gentiles, and he said, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. And, and Paul sees this action of Peter, and he says, this is not good. You're, you're giving, you're two-faced in this. You're trying to appease all of these different people. 
And instead of living by faith, instead of living according to the truth that has been revealed to you through the Spirit of God, by Christ himself, by prophets themselves, through the word of God that we've had. And so Paul confronts Peter because this is a serious issue. And what happens is how, how then should we live? And really this is the question that I think we have to ask ourselves whenever we ha- encounter anything in Scripture. How, how then should we live? When it comes to, hey, I'm saved by grace through faith, can I do whatever it is the world I want? For this Jerusalem council, what they are encouraging these believers in Antioch and these other believers who are surrounded by Jewish people and they're trying to witness to these Jewish people and they're trying to also have fellowship with those who are remaining Jews who yet are still Christians, who have become Christians. How can they relate with them? How can they interact with them so that they're not offending them all the time? And the answer that comes up is these several points at the end of what I just read in verses 19 through 21. These several things that James says, hey, this is how we should encourage the Gentiles. Certain things we want to encourage them to do. They don't need to get circumcised. They don't need to follow after the entirety of the law of Moses. But what we find in Leviticus 17 and 18 particularly, which is why we read that earlier, why Brooke did, was to show us like these things existed and they actually existed kind of together in the law of Moses in Leviticus 17 and 18, where it's eating things with blood still in it and sexual immorality in Leviticus 18. There are some things that are important for us to still abide by. When it comes to especially who we're dealing with, who we're living around, we need to be cognizant and aware that if we're offending everyone around us, we're never going to have a door for the gospel to penetrate their hearts. And so if I'm living around Jewish people, I need to be aware of what's going to rudely offend them. And if I'm out here eating whatever it is I want to eat right in front of their face, saying, hey, look at the freedom I have in Christ to do all this, they're not going to be interested when I come to them and proclaim the gospel and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus the Christ, the Messiah? They're going to say, look, I, like, I can't, because of my ethnic heritage, I can't hang out with you because you're just throwing that in my face. And so it's this idea we brought up last week that Paul brings up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I I become all things to all people so that by, some, by any means I might save some. Like I want to do what I need to do. Those under the law, I become as one under the law. Those outside the law, I hang out with them too. And I do the things outside the law. As long as I'm not going beyond living by faith. I want to be these things to these people because I know what's important is for them to hear the message of the gospel and to be able to hear it and not... It, have to sift through their minds saying, oh, well, this guy lives completely contrary to how I understand I can live. No, it's, I I give up my freedoms. I change. Sometimes how I act, the things I do for the purpose of being able to open the door for the gospel. And these are some of the things that 
would be just right in the face of Jewish people if we did if we were to go up to them and say, "Hey, look at what I'm eating. Hey, look at who I've just married. Hey, look at how I act in these regards." And so that's what's encouraged. Do we still have to abide by these things as this letter goes out to the Gentile believers in Antioch and beyond? Do we still have to abide by these things? How then shall we live as Christians 2,000 years later? Let me read verse 22 and beyond. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. So do we need to live according to these standards that the council in Jerusalem has set? Number one, I would say there's no problem in following it. Like if you were to live that way according to these standards that the council in Jerusalem has set, there's nothing wrong with that even nowadays. There's no Thing in scripture that says, oh no, now at this point you can be sexually immoral. Oh no, at this point, you know, yeah, just live however it is you want to in whatever capacity you want to. Especially when it comes to your se- sexual ethics. And that's where, I'm like, you can read Leviticus 18. And you can see all throughout scripture from Jesus and Paul, many times where there is a standard that is set for how we ought to live when it comes to our lives as sexual beings. There are certain things that we should refrain from. There are certain things that we should abide by. I think, in particular, sexual morality is something that we need to be cautious of because it's all around us all the time. Some of the other things, you know, should you eat stuff with blood still in it? I mean, if it's not against your conscience, I would say, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it. 
But then again, I would also say, on the other hand, why do you want to do it? That just seems really strange to me. Um, Why do you need to do it? You know, if you're not supposed to eat anything that's been strangled. Um, You know, I mean, what's keeping you from not doing that? From things polluted by idols. I mean, you can have more... I think reading 1 Corinthians, chapter 8 especially, um, I would encourage you to do that on your own this week. I'd encourage you to read that and to see what it is that maybe we ought to do from Paul himself in his own words, how we ought to act. So a church in Corinth, a church that does not have a huge Jewish contingent, but still has some and still wants to be set apart from the world and to not just do whatever it is everyone else is doing necessarily. If some people are offended and think it's wrong to eat things that are offered to idols, do I still have the freedom and standing to do that myself in their face? Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 8, no, like if you're offending a brother by what you eat, you're no longer living in love. You're no, no longer loving your neighbor at that point. And if we have been called to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're spitting in their face, that's wrong. Is it wrong in and of itself to eat meat that's been offered to idols? No, it's not wrong. If your conscience is clear and you can do that, there's nothing wrong with it. Paul says. Uh, he basically says that. But it is wrong if you're doing it in front of somebody else who's offended by it. So are all these things things that we as believers 2,000 years later have to abide by? No, not necessarily. I think one of the things I wanted to, to look at in the, the whole of Acts chapter 15 is what happens whenever our experience and scripture don't line up. What happens whenever it seems like God's word says something, but then it doesn't, we don't understand how it is we can live according to that. We, we don't understand how am I supposed to put this into practice. Because what happens sometimes is, are we going to trust in ourselves? Or are we going to trust in the Lord through dependence on his word? I think where this clearly becomes an issue, is in the realm of sexual immorality, sexual deviancy. I want to make kind of two similar statements. The first one is, be careful manipulating reality in order to follow your interpretation. And the second one is like it, be careful manipulating interpretation in order to follow your reality. So be careful manipulating reality in order to follow your interpretation and be careful manipulating interpretation in order to follow your reality. So a couple of ways that I think we see this in the the first one I mentioned is sexual immorality, sexual deviancy. So though our reality or experience may say our feelings say I'm born this way, I feel this way, these things are true and evident in my life. It is nevertheless prohibited oftentimes in Scripture. That though 
I naturally am inclined toward this way of living or to these thoughts, that doesn't automatically make it okay. Because then what happens is people twist Scripture to say what they want it to say. Their reality becomes the determining factor instead of a proper interpretation of Scripture. Instead of seeing Scripture for what it clearly is, and for what it clearly expects both in the Old and New Testaments. Don't let what feels good in the moment be the barometer for whether the Lord stamps His approval on it. Just because it seems right or feels right doesn't make it right. And it's easy for us, it's easy for me to stand up here and say that when I have had myself personally plenty of sexual immorality in my own life. And so I can stand up and say, oh, well, you know, all of you other people are doing things wrong yourselves. Come live like me. Listen to what I have to say about it. And so what I say is, I have been saved by the grace of God. Full stop. I have been saved by the grace of God from my own sexual immorality. And the ways that I have expressed that myself. And that I'm called, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader, as a guy... To live in a certain way. And when I'm inclined to not live that way, I have to check myself. I have to stop in those moments and realize how wrong I am. I have to realize that just because I feel this way or want to do this thing is not make it right. There are things that we as Christians, we as those who have already been saved, we as those who have been in church maybe our entire lives or for years, still struggle with and still have to be aware of for our own selves. And if we aren't actively pursuing holiness in those particular areas of our lives, we, we don't have any room to speak to the People who are proud of how they live in the ways that God has not set out for us. And so we need to make it clear that we're not isolating these other people as if we're perfect and they're the only ones who have a problem. We all have problems. Right? Another way, I think, in those two statements, manipulating reality in order to follow your interpretation, would be, I think, what we've talked about as we've gone through the book of Acts, and as we'll continue to go through it, and point out here and there, but the idea of the... Needing to speak in tongues in order to prove ourselves as true Christians. I mean, many regard it as evidence of the Spirit in your life. And if you don't speak in tongues, then there is no evidence of the Spirit in your life. That, that's the, the basic nuts and bolts of it. 
So don't let an improper interpretation mislead you into imprudent expectations. It's fancy words to say you don't have to speak in tongues to prove that you're saved. But many people will look at Scripture, they'll pull out individual verses and acts and say, oh, well, see, these people did it here, and so that means everyone for the rest of time has to be able to do it. And it's, no. I mean, nowhere in Acts chapter 15 is it, hey, here's what we need to see from these new believers speaking in tongues. No, it's, we know that we're saved by faith. By the grace of God, we're saved. Peter makes this abundantly clear again for like the hundredth time in the book of Acts, much less the rest of the writings of Paul and Peter and what Jesus himself says and what the Old Testament says, as Paul talks about, especially explicitly in Romans chapters 1 through 11. This is all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testaments. We are saved by faith through his grace. And we shouldn't put a burden on other people like being circumcised or like speaking in tongues. These are gifts of the Spirit for some people, but not for all. What happens is, I I think we feel the need, we feel the urge to earn something. I, I sort of titled it, you know, if you looked at it in the bulletin, as... The scandal of grace. We feel so often as humans like we need to prove ourselves or that we need to earn our position. This is a lot of where the circumcision party, the people who came out of Jerusalem to Antioch and that caused this whole council to happen in the first place. This is what started that. You need to earn your place among us. You need to do these things in order to prove yourself as a true Christian, as an actual Christian. Why do we feel the need to earn something? I think a couple reasons are because then it's mine. If I've done these things, I can point back to it and say, look, I can point back to speaking in tongues and say, oh, no, that's evidence that the Spirit truly is in my heart, in my life. See, like not everybody speaks in tongues. You know, but if you're a Christian, you do, and there it is. And, and, and we create this false reality. And I think part of it is because then it's mine. I'm in control. Like, I, I, I can point to it and say, look, there's, there's the explicit evidence. But so often, I mean, Psalm 31 we read earlier. Read any of the Psalms, and you see that the evidence... In our lives that God is with us is not that everything is going great and wonderful. There are so many difficult times. Like read Acts chapter 14. I mean just one of the headings in verse 19. Paul stoned at Lystra. Like he was stoned. They thought he was dead. We can look at the outward and be led to a completely different conclusion. Because we're focusing on... What we can see and what we can control. And how is it that we allow ourselves to receive something and not give in return? This is a, 
we're, we're so ready to receive a gift from God. But so many people are, and so many of us naturally, like we, we don't want to, we don't want to give any of it up. If it's mine, it's mine. We want to earn it because then it's mine, and I know it's mine because I've earned it. Or if we were poor and we recognized our poverty and that we needed it, we say, well, all that I've been given, it needs to be mine because I, I don't have any then to spare. I don't have any to give. Like These are a couple of the things that we need to have on our minds when it comes to really truly integrating and understanding the grace of God in our hearts. It's you can't earn it. And I think one of the reasons why is because then we'd be able to boast about it. We'd be able to say, I'm in control of it. And on, on the other side, it's, well, if I've been freely given this, say, because I know that I needed it, well, if, if you're not willing to, to express that out and, and, to, and to share that with, with others around you and to realize that they need some too, then I'm not sure we've really understood His grace in the first place either. I mean, it, I, I just remember seeing this video a couple years ago, and... It's um, someone leaves a bag of stuff on a, a street corner, more or less, on a bench. And, um, you know, they're filming people's reactions to it. And I think it was just money. And you have all these people come and be like, oh, this is great. And someone comes up to them, you know, it's a stage. And they're like, hey, you know, hey, I'm, I'm needing something. You know, a guy who looks poor and homeless It's like, I need something, you know, do you have anything you can give me? And some of the people who are given that money don't give them anything. Like they just got a hundred bucks for free because they won a disc golf competition, right? And they're like, no, you can't, I can't spare five bucks and change for you to go get something to drink, even though you clearly look disheveled and homeless. Like I, like I just earned this by, by just coming here to this table, to this chair, to this bench, But then you have this guy who himself is homeless and comes across this. And the other homeless actor comes and he's like, hey, can you give me something? He's like, oh, yeah, let's 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 share this. Like someone who who truly understands our need for God's grace. Is. Has the mindset to know that other other people need this. Also, that, that I've been given this to give. I've received this to give back out. Not that I can save people, but I can demonstrate and show the love of Christ. The scandal that we have to deal with is, like, are we okay with not being in control? Uh, are, are we okay with... Letting God be in control. Letting God be the one who decides what is right and wrong. Letting God be the one who tells us how to live. Living in dependence on him even after the fact. 
I've said a lot of things. It probably hasn't been a very good cohesive unit of whatnot, but um, I think what we can learn overall from Acts chapter 15 is that we are going to have disagreements. They might come immediate. They might come after years and years of living together. And what has to be our guiding focus and principle is not just our experience, but it has to be the word of God properly interpreted and actually lived. Because if, if we're not willing to understand what God's word truly says about things and the freedom that we have in Christ, and then even sometimes forego those freedoms and give up what we've been given for the sake of somebody else, then have we truly understood the grace of God, what it means to live by faith? Are we truly just seeking after our own good? And have we missed the whole point all along? I think these are some of the things that we need to think about as we come across a chapter like Acts 15. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for random thoughts and just the example that you've given us through the pillars of the early church, through Peter and Paul and James, how they came together and they led everyone else to come together to be able to know how they could live together do life together, how they could function alongside one another. Lord, when we come into these disputes in our own life, in, our, in this church, amongst ourselves, help us to not be so focused on me and mine that we neglect living in your truth and living in your freedom. That, that we look out for the good of others, that we love our neighbors as ourselves and not, not just love ourselves. God, in, in all this, we want to be like Christ. We want to be a people who, who give ourselves up for the good of others. Lord, would you help us in this endeavor? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.